When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Ted O'Connell, author of USMLE Step 2 Secrets and Chief Content Officer for Inside the Boards. This is the Step 2 Secrets podcast, where we provide you the high-yield content from Step 2 Secrets in audio format, as well as question breakdowns, so you can study on the go and get back to reclaiming some of your life. Hey everyone, it's Patrick here with a question from Elsevier's Clinical Key. A 52-year-old man with a 100-pack-year history of smoking presents to his physician with a chief complaint of double vision. He also reports a recent history of dry mouth and difficulty swallowing. On top of this, he also reports decreased strength and a tingling sensation over his thighs. On physical exam, the physician notes the initial absence of deep tendon reflexes, which can only be evoked by repetitive tapping. Leg strength seems significantly less than expected for the patient's age. These findings are most consistent with which of the following? Is it A, Eaton-Lambert syndrome, B, Guillain-Barre syndrome, C, myasthenia gravis, or D, primary hyperparathyroidism? And the correct answer here is A. Eaton-Lambert syndrome. So this patient's presentation is most consistent with ELS, which is a neuromuscular disorder in which presynaptic terminals fail to release sufficient quantities of acetylcholine due to antibodies to the presynaptic voltage-gated calcium channels. Phew, that's a mouthful. Weakness classically improves with repetitive stimulation as the presence of calcium accumulating in the axon by successive stimulation is more likely to trigger action potentials. The disorder is seen in association with small cell lung cancer but can be seen in other diseases like sarcoid. The patient's long history of smoking and cough make an underlying malignancy high on the differential. You diagnose ELS by showing increase in muscle action potential amplitudes with repetitive nerve stimulation on an electromyographic study, an EMG. The incorrect answers, choice B was Guillain-Barre. So Guillain-Barre or GBS is a disorder of the peripheral nerves and roots where they undergo focal demyelination, which manifests as a symmetric ascending weakness with a loss of deep tendon reflexes. A significant percentage of patients develop respiratory failure because of weakness of the chest wall muscles, and some also develop autonomic dysfunction that manifests as cardiac arrhythmia. 
This may mimic other neuromuscular disorders such as ELS, but the lack of improvement with repeated muscle stimulation can help distinguish GBS from ELS. Choice C was myasthenia gravis. So MG is a perineoplastic disease in which antibodies destroy acetylcholine receptors on the postsynaptic membrane, resulting in muscle fatigue that worsens with repetition but improves with rest. Sensation and deep tendon reflexes are generally preserved in myasthenia gravis. Finally, choice D, primary hyperparathyroidism. So this would result in hypercalcemia, which in that case, you would expect to see hyperreflexia, not the absence of DTRs. In summary, ELS, Eaton-Lambert syndrome, is a neuromuscular disorder where presynaptic terminals fail to release sufficient acetylcholine because of antibodies to presynaptic voltage-gated calcium channels. The weakness in this disease characteristically improves with repetitive stimulation as the presence of calcium accumulates with successive stimulation and action potential is more likely to be triggered. Remember, this disease is associated with small cell lung cancer, but also other diseases like sarcoid. And now, back to USMLE Step 2 Secrets. This is the neurology chapter from USMLE Step 2 Secrets, 5th edition. Question 1. In what common situation is a lumbar puncture contraindicated? With acute head trauma, intracranial hypertension, signs include papilledema, with coagulopathy, suspicion for intracranial hemorrhage, or suspicion for a spinal epidural abscess. You should do a lumbar tap only after you have a negative CT or MRI scan of the head in these settings. Otherwise, you may cause uncle herniation and death. Question 2. Cover all but the left-hand column and describe the classic findings of cerebrospinal fluid, or CSF, hemolysis in the following conditions. Normal CSF is clear in appearance, has 0 to 3 cells per millimeter, Glucose is 50 to 100 milligrams per deciliter. Protein is 20 to 45 milligrams per deciliter. And opening pressure is 100 to 200 millimeters of mercury. In bacterial meningitis, the appearance is clear, cloudy, or purulent. Cells, there are more than 1,000 PMNs per millimeter. Glucose is less than 50. Protein is around 100. And pressure is greater than 200 millimeters of mercury. In viral or aseptic meningitis, the appearance is clear. There are more than 100 cells per millimeter. Glucose is normal. Protein is normal to slightly increased. And pressure is normal to slightly increased. In pseudotumor cerebri, appearance is clear. Cells, glucose, and protein are all normal. And pressure is over 200 millimeters of mercury. In Guillain-Barre syndrome, the appearance is clear. There are 0 to 100 cells. Glucose is normal. Protein is over 100 milligrams per deciliter, and pressure is normal. In cerebral hemorrhage, the appearance is xanthochromia, bloody or clear. Cells is red blood cells because it's bloody. Glucose is normal. Protein is over 45, and pressure is over 200 millimeters of mercury. In multiple sclerosis, the appearance is clear. Cells are normal to slightly increased. 
glucose is normal, protein is normal to slightly increased, and pressure is normal. Question three, give a classic case description of multiple sclerosis. Multiple sclerosis classically presents with an insidious onset of neurologic symptoms in white women aged 20 to 40 years with exacerbations and remissions. Common presentations include paresthesias and numbness, weakness and clumsiness, visual disturbances such as decreased vision and pain due to optic neuritis or diplopia due to cranial nerve involvement, gait disturbances, incontinence and urgency, and vertigo. Also look for emotional lability, other mental status changes, and worsening of symptoms with hot showers. Internuclear ophthalmoplegia, a disorder of conjugate gaze in which the affected eye shows impairment of adduction, and scanning speech, in which spoken words are broken up into separate syllables, separated by a noticeable pause, and sometimes with stress on the wrong syllable. Optic neuritis, which is unilateral vision loss, eye pain, and red color desaturation, are all classic. The patient may have a positive Babinski sign. The patient's symptoms do not follow a single neurologic lesion. Question 4. What is the most sensitive test for diagnosis of multiple sclerosis? How is it treated? MRI is the most sensitive diagnostic tool and shows demyelination plaques in the periventricular white matter. Also look for increased IgG oligoclonal bands and possibly myelin basic protein in the CSF. Treatment is not highly effective but includes interferon, glutirimer, metoxentrone, natalizumab, cyclophosphamide, and methotrexate. Acute exacerbations are treated with glucocorticoids. Question 5. Define Guillain-Barre syndrome. Guillain-Barre syndrome is a post-infectious autoimmune polyneuropathy. Look for a history of mild infection, especially upper respiratory infection, or immunization roughly one week before the onset of symmetric distal weakness or paralysis with mild paresthesias that starts in the feet and legs with loss of deep tendon reflexes in affected areas. The hallmark of the disease is that motor function is often affected with intact or only minimally impaired sensation. As the ascending paralysis or weakness progresses, respiratory paralysis may occur. Watch carefully. Usually spirometry is done to follow inspiratory ability. Intubation may be required. Diagnosis is by clinical presentation. CSF is usually normal except for markedly increased protein. Nerve conduction velocities are slowed. The disease usually resolves spontaneously. Plasmapheresis for adults and intravenous immune globulin for children reduce the severity and length of disease. Do not use steroids. They no longer have a role in the treatment of Guillain-Barre syndrome. Question 6. What causes nerve conduction velocity to be slowed? Demyelination. Watch for Guillain-Barre syndrome and multiple sclerosis as causes. Question 7. What causes an EMG study to show fasciculations or fibrillations at rest? A lower motor neuron lesion. That is, a peripheral nerve problem. Question 8. What causes an EMG study with no muscle activity at rest and decreased amplitude of muscle contraction upon stimulation? Intrinsic muscle disease, such as muscular dystrophies, 
or inflammatory myopathies, such as polymyositis. You now know enough about EMG for the USMLE exam. Question 9. What is the most common cause of syncope? What other conditions should you consider? Vasovagal syncope is the most common cause and is classically seen after stress or fear. Arrhythmias and orthostatic hypotension are also common. Always remember to consider hypoglycemia as a cause. The other main categories to consider, one, cardiac problems, such as arrhythmias, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, valvular disease, and tamponade. Always check an EKG. Further testing with echocardiography or treadmill stress testing can be performed based upon the EKG findings and degree of suspicion. Two, neurologic disorders such as seizures, migraine headaches, brain tumor, and stroke. Consider an EEG or CT or MRI scan if the history suggests seizures or intracranial lesion. Three, vascular disease. Consider transient ischemic attacks or carotid stenosis, which can be ruled out with carotid artery duplex scanning, though this is not a common cause of syncope. Four, medication effects. For example, anticholinergic agents, beta blockers, narcotics, vasodilators, alpha agonists, and antipsychotics. As many as half of patients have syncope of unknown cause after a standard diagnostic evaluation. Question 10. Cover the right-hand column and localize the neurologic lesion for each of the following signs and symptoms. Decreased or no reflexes, fasciculations, and atrophy. The area is a lower motor neuron disease or possibly a muscle problem. Hyperreflexia, clonus, and increased muscle tone is an upper motor neuron lesion in the cord or brain. Apathy, inattention, disinhibition, and labile affect is frontal lobes. Broca, or motor aphasia, is dominant frontal lobe. Wernicke, or sensory aphasia, is the dominant temporal lobe. Memory impairment, hyperaggression, and hypersexuality, temporal lobes. Inability to read, write, name, or do math is the dominant parietal lobe. Ignoring one side of the body and trouble with dressing is the non-dominant parietal lobe. Visual hallucinations or illusions is the occipital lobes. Cranial nerves three and four is the midbrain. Cranial nerves five, six, seven, and eight is the pons. Cranial nerves nine, 10, 11, and 12 is the medulla. Ataxia, dysarthria, nystagmus, intention, tremor, dysmetria, and scanning speech is the cerebellum. Question 11. When evaluating a delirious or unconscious patient with no history of trauma, for what three common conditions should you think about giving empiric treatment? 1. Hypoglycemia. Give glucose. 2. Opioid overdose. Give naloxone. 3. Thiamine deficiency. Give thiamine before giving glucose in a suspected alcoholic. Other common causes are alcohol, illicit drugs, prescription drugs, diabetic ketoacidosis, stroke, and epilepsy or postictal state.
Question 12. What are the classic differences between delirium and dementia? The onset in delirium is acute and dramatic. In dementia, it's chronic and insidious. Common causes of delirium include illness, toxins, and withdrawal. In dementia, it's Alzheimer disease, multi-infarct dementia, and HIV or AIDS. Reversibility. Delirium is usually reversible, but dementia is not usually. Attention is poor in delirium and is usually unaffected in dementia, and the arousal level fluctuates in delirium but is normal in dementia. Question 13. What signs and symptoms do delirium and dementia have in common? Both may have hallucinations, illusions, delusions, memory impairment, which is usually global in delirium, whereas remote memory is spared in early dementia, orientation difficulties, an unawareness of time, place, and person, and sundowning, which is worse at night. However, a new pattern of sundowning should be presumed to be delirium. Question 14. Define pseudo-dementia. Depression can cause some clinical signs and symptoms of dementia, classically in the elderly. This type of, quote, dementia is reversible with treatment. Step 2 questions will give you other signs and symptoms of depression, such as sadness, loss of a loved one, weight or appetite loss, suicidal ideation, poor sleep, or feelings of worthlessness. Question 15. What treatable causes of dementia must always be ruled out? B12 deficiency and hypothyroidism, for which the American Academy of Neurology recommends screening. Other treatable causes of dementia that you might consider screening for, but which do not have clear data to support or refute screening in all patients with dementia include hyperhomocysteinemia, endocrine disorders, including thyroid and parathyroid, uremia, liver disease, hypercalcemia, syphilis, Lyme disease, brain tumors, and normal pressure hydrocephalus. Treatment of Parkinson's disease may reverse dementia if it is present. Question 16. Define Wernicke encephalopathy and Korsakoff syndrome. What causes them? Thiamine deficiency, classically in alcoholics, causes the acute delirium of Wernicke encephalopathy, which results in ataxia, ophthalmoplegia, nystagmus, and confusion. If untreated, this acute encephalopathy may progress to Korsakoff syndrome, which is characterized by memory loss with confabulation. Because patients cannot remember, they make things up. Korsakoff syndrome is usually irreversible. Always give thiamine before glucose in an alcoholic to prevent precipitating Wernicke encephalopathy. Question 17. Differentiate among tension, cluster, and migraine headaches. How is each treated? Tension headaches are the most common. Look for a long history of headaches and stress, plus a feeling of tightness or stiffness, usually frontal or occipital and bilateral. Treat with stress reduction and acetaminophen or NSAIDs. Cluster headaches are unilateral, severe, and tender. They occur in clusters, for example, three in one week and then none for two months, and are usually accompanied by autonomic symptoms such as ptosis, lacrimation, rhinorrhea, and nasal congestion. 
Supplemental oxygen and subcutaneous sumatriptan are first-line therapy for acute attacks. Migraine headaches are classically associated with an aura, a peculiar sensation, such as a noise or a flash of light, that lets the patient know that an attack is about to start. Remember the mnemonic POUND, P for pulsatile quality, O for onset or duration of 4 to 72 hours, U for unilateral, N for nausea and vomiting, and D for disabling. Often, signs and symptoms also include photophobia, phonophobia, and a positive family history. Occasionally, neurologic symptoms are seen during attacks. Migraines usually begin between the ages of 10 and 30 years. Medications used for the acute treatment of migraine include NSAIDs, triptans, ergotamine, and antiemetics. Prophylaxis can be achieved with beta blockers, tricyclic, tricyclic antidepressants, topiramate, valproic acid, and calcium channel blockers. Question 18. How do you recognize a headache secondary to brain tumor or intracranial mass? By the presence of associated neurologic signs and symptoms of intracranial hypertension, including papilledema, nausea and vomiting, which may be projectile, and mental status changes or ataxia. The classic headache occurs every day and is worse in the morning. Watch for a headache that wakes the patient from sleep. Headaches from an intracranial mass get worse with a Valsalva maneuver, exertion, or sex. Get a CT or MRI scan of the head. Question 19. Define pseudotumor cerebri. How is it diagnosed and treated? Pseudotumor cerebri is a fairly benign condition that can mimic a tumor because both cause intracranial hypertension with papilledema and daily headaches that are classically worse in the morning and may be accompanied by nausea and vomiting. The difference, however, is that pseudotumor cerebri is usually found in young, obese females who are unlikely to have a brain tumor. Negative CT and MRI scans rule out a tumor or mass. The main worrisome sequela is vision loss. Treatment is supportive. Weight loss usually helps, and repeated lumbar punctures or a CSF shunt may be needed. Large doses of vitamin A, tetracyclines, and withdrawal from corticosteroids are possible causes of pseudotumor cerebri. Question 20. How do you recognize a headache due to meningitis? The adult patient has a fever, Brudzinski or Koenig sign, altered mental status, focal neurologic signs, seizures, vomiting, and positive CSF findings. The classic findings in bacterial meningitis are significantly elevated white blood cells, decreased glucose, protein around 100 milligrams per deciliter, and increased opening pressure if a lumbar tap is done. Photophobia is also common. Question 21. What causes the worst headache of a patient's life? This is a classic description for a subarachnoid hemorrhage. The most common causes are ruptured congenital aneurysm or trauma. Look for blood around the brain or within sulci on a CT or MRI scan or grossly bloody CSF on lumbar puncture. Treatment is supportive. Aneurysms require surgical treatment to prevent re-bleeding and death. Question 22. What are the common extracranial causes of headache? 
eye pain, including optic neuritis, eye strain from refractive errors, iritis, or glaucoma, middle ear pain from otitis media or mastoiditis, sinus pain from sinusitis, oral cavity pain such as from a toothache, herpes zoster infection with cranial nerve involvement, or nonspecific headache such as malaise from any illness, or maybe even studying for USMLE Step 2. Question 23. What does a lesion of the first cranial nerve, cranial nerve 1, cause? What exotic syndrome should you watch for clinically? Cranial nerve 1 lesions cause anosmia, an inability to smell. Watch for Kalman syndrome, which is anosmia plus hypogonadism due to gonadotropin-releasing hormone deficiency. Question 24. True or false? Brain lesions can be localized based on the visual field defect. True. Remember this stuff from basic science? Review it again for at least one easy point on the USMLE Step 2. There's a figure down below with defects in the visual fields. That's definitely worth looking at. If you really hate this stuff, at least remember bitemporal hemianopsia due to an optic chiasm lesion, usually caused by a pituitary tumor. So, with visual field defects, with right anopsia, monocular blindness, the location is the right optic nerve. For bitemporal hemianopsia, it's the optic chiasm. For left homonymous hemianopsia, it's the right optic tract. For left upper quadrant anopsia, it's the right optic radiations in the right temporal lobe. For left lower quadrant anopsia, it's the right optic radiations in the right parietal lobe. And for left homonymous hemianopsia with macular sparing, it's the right occipital lobe from a posterior cerebral artery occlusion. Question 25. How do you distinguish between a benign and serious cause of cranial nerve 3 deficit? With benign causes, such as hypertension and diabetes, of a cranial nerve 3 palsy, the pupil is normal in size and is reactive. No treatment is needed. With serious causes, such as an aneurysm, tumor, or uncle herniation, the pupil is dilated and non-reactive, or blown. Urgent diagnosis and treatment are required. Additional neurologic symptoms also indicate a serious cause. The first step in serious cases is to get a CT or MRI scan of the head. Careful observation is preferred in benign cases, but if the patient does not improve within a few months or does not have hypertension or diabetes, you should order a CT or MRI of the head just in case. Question 26. What does cranial nerve 5, the trigeminal nerve, innervate? What classic peripheral nerve disorder affects its function? Cranial nerve 5 innervates the muscles of mastication and facial sensation, including the afferent limb of the corneal reflex. Watch for trigeminal neuralgia, which is classically described as unilateral shooting pains in the face in older adults and often triggered by activity, such as brushing the teeth. This condition is best treated with anti-epilepsy medications, such as carbamazepine. If the patient is younger and female, or the symptoms are bilateral, consider multiple sclerosis and rule out other causes, such as tumor or stroke. 
Question 27. What structures does cranial nerve 7 innervate? What is the difference between an upper and lower motor neuron lesion of the facial nerve? Cranial nerve 7, the facial nerve, innervates the muscles of facial expression, taste in the anterior two-thirds of the tongue, skin of the external ear, lacrimal or salivary glands, except the parotid gland, and stapedius muscle. With an upper motor neuron lesion of cranial nerve 7, the forehead is spared on the affected side, and the cause is usually a stroke or tumor. With a lower motor neuron lesion, the forehead is involved on the affected side, and the cause is usually Bell palsy or tumor. Question 28. What problems, other than facial droop, affect patients with a cranial nerve 7 lesion? Patients may be unable to close their eyes. Give artificial tears to prevent corneal ulceration. Also watch for hyperacusis. Quiet noises sound extremely loud in Bell palsy due to stapedius muscle paralysis. Question 29. What rare tumor is a classic cause of lower motor neuron lesions of cranial nerves 7 and 8? Cerebellopontine angle tumors, such as acoustic neuroma, classically seen in patients with neurofibromatosis. Question 30. Describe the function of cranial nerve 8. What symptoms do lesions cause? Cranial nerve 8, the vestibulocochlear nerve, is needed for hearing and balance. Lesions can cause deafness, tinnitus, and or vertigo. In children, think of meningitis as a cause. In adults, symptoms may be due to a toxin or medication, such as aspirin, aminoglycosides, loop diuretics, or cisplatin. Could also be due to infections such as labyrinthitis or to a tumor or stroke. Question 31. What does cranial nerve 9 innervate? What physical findings are associated with a lesion? Cranial nerve 9, the glossopharyngeal nerve, innervates the pharyngeal muscles and mucous membranes, the afferent limb of the gag reflex, the parotid gland, taste in the posterior third of the tongue, skin of the external ear, and the carotid body and sinus. With lesions due to stroke or tumor, look for a loss of gag reflex and loss of taste in the posterior third of the tongue. Question 32. Describe the function of cranial nerve 10. Specify the physical findings and causes of lesions. Cranial nerve 10 innervates muscles of the palate, pharynx, and larynx, the efferent limb of the gag reflex. Taste buds in the base of the tongue, abdominal viscera, and skin of the external ear. Look for hoarseness, dysphagia, and loss of gag or cough reflex. Lesions are commonly due to stroke, but do not forget aortic aneurysms or tumors. Especial, especially apical pancoast lung tumors, as a cause of recurrent laryngeal nerve palsy and hoarseness. Question 33. What muscles does cranial nerve 11 innervate? How do you know on which side the lesion is located? Cranial nerve 11, the spinal accessory nerve, innervates the sternocleidomastoid and trapezius muscles. Patients with cranial nerve 11 lesions have trouble turning their heads to the side opposite the lesion, and have ipsilateral shoulder droop. Question 34. What does a lesion of cranial nerve 12 cause? Cranial nerve 12, the hypoglossal nerve, innervates the muscles of the tongue. 
a protruded tongue deviates to the same side as the lesion. Question 35. Which vitamin deficiencies may present with neurologic signs and symptoms? Vitamin B12 can present with dementia, peripheral neuropathy, loss of vibration sense in the lower extremities, loss of position sense, ataxia, spasticity, hyperactive reflexes, paresthesia, and positive Babinski sign. Thiamine deficiency can present with peripheral neuropathy, confusion, ophthalmoplegia, nystagmus, ataxia, confusion, delirium, dementia, and psychosis. Vitamin E deficiency can present with loss of proprioception and vibratory sensation, areflexia, ataxia, and gaze palsy. Vitamin A deficiency can present with vision loss, and vitamin B6 deficiency can present with peripheral uh, sensory neuropathy. Watch for isoniazid as a cause and give prophylactic B6 to patients taking isoniazid if given the choice. Question 36. What are the six general types of seizures that you should be able to recognize? One, simple partial. Two, complex partial. Three, absence or petite mal. Four, tonic-clonic. Five, febrile. And six, secondary seizures. Question 37. Describe simple partial seizures. How are they treated? Simple partial, local or focal seizures may be motor, for example, Jacksonian march, sensory, for example, hallucinations, or psychic, cognitive or affective symptoms. The key point is that consciousness is not impaired. The first-line agents for treatment are carbamazepine, lamotrigine, oxcarbazepine, and levetiracetam. Question 38. Describe complex partial seizures. How are they treated? Complex partial or psychomotor seizures are any simple partial seizure followed by impairment of consciousness. Patients perform purposeless movements and may become aggressive if restraint is attempted. However, people who get in fights or kill other people are not having a seizure. The first-line agents for treatment are valproate, lamotrigine, and levetiracetam. Question 39. Give the classic description of an absence seizure. Absence or petite mal seizures are brief, 10 to 30 seconds in duration, Generalized seizures in which the main manifestation is loss of consciousness, often with eye or muscle fluttering. They do not begin after the age of 20 years. The classic description is a child in a classroom who stares into space in the middle of a sentence and then 20 seconds later resumes the sentence where he left off. The child is not daydreaming. He or she is having a seizure. There is no postictal state. An important difference between absence and complex seizures. The first-line treatment agents are ethosuximide and valproate. Question 40. How do you recognize a tonic-clonic seizure? Tonic-clonic grand mal seizures are the classic seizures that we knew about before we went to medical school. They may be associated with an aura. Tonic muscle contraction is followed by clonic contractions, usually lasting two to five minutes. Associated symptoms may include incontinence and tongue lacerations. 
The postictal state is characterized by drowsiness, confusion, headache, and muscle soreness. The first-line agents for treatment are valproate, lamotrigine, and levetiracetam. Question 41. Define febrile seizure. Children between the ages of 6 months and 5 years may have a seizure caused by fever. Always assume another cause outside this age range. The seizure is usually of the tonic-clonic, generalized type. No specific seizure treatment is required, but you should treat the underlying cause of the fever, if possible, and give acetaminophen to reduce fever. Such children do not have epilepsy, and the chances of their developing it are slightly higher than in the general population. Make sure that the child does not have meningitis, tumor, or another serious cause of the seizure. The step two question will give clues in the case description if you should pursue workup for a serious condition. Question 42. What are the common causes of secondary seizure? How are they treated? Mass effect, such as tumor or hemorrhage. Metabolic disorder, such as hypoglycemia, hypoxia, phenylketonuria, and hyponatremia. Toxins, such as lead, cocaine, and carbon monoxide poisoning. Drug withdrawal from alcohol, barbiturates, benzodiazepines, or withdrawing convulsants too rapidly. Cerebral edema from severe or malignant hypertension, and also watch for pheochromocytoma and eclampsia. Central nervous system infections, such as meningitis, encephalitis, toxoplasmosis, and sister psychosis, trauma, and stroke. Treat the underlying disorder and use a benzodiazepine such as lorazepam or diazepam and or phenytoin or phosphenytoin acutely to control seizures. For all seizures, primary or secondary, secure the airway and if possible, roll the patient onto his or her side to prevent aspiration. Question 43. Define status epilepticus. How is it treated? Status epilepticus is defined as a seizure that lasts for a sufficient length of time, usually 30 minutes or longer, or is repeated frequently enough that the individual does not regain consciousness between seizures. Status epilepticus may occur spontaneously or result from withdrawing anticonvulsants too rapidly. Treat with IV lorazepam. Give phosphenytoin if the seizures persist. As with all seizures, remember your ABCs, protect the airway, intubate if necessary, and roll the patient on his or her side to prevent aspiration. Question 44. True or false? Hypertension can cause seizures. True. Always remember hypertension as a cause of seizures or convulsions, headache, confusion, stupor, or mental status changes. Question 45. What do you need to remember when giving anticonvulsants to women? All anticonvulsants are teratogenic, and women of reproductive age need counseling about the risks of pregnancy. Do a pregnancy test before starting an anticonvulsant and offer birth control. Valproic acid is a major contributor to the risk. Polypharmacy increases the risk. There is limited human information on the risks to the fetus with the newer anti-epileptic medications. Question 46. What causes strokes? How common are they? 
Cerebrovascular disease, or stroke, is the most common cause of neurologic disability in the United States and the third leading cause of death. Ischemia due to atherosclerosis is by far the most common type of stroke, representing more than 85% of cases. Hypertension is another cause of stroke and typically causes hemorrhagic stroke, most commonly in the basal ganglia, thalamus, or cerebellum. Having said this, be aware of more exotic causes of stroke, such as atrial fibrillation with resultant clot formation and emboli to the brain, septic emboli from endocarditis, and sickle cell disease. Question 47. How is acute stroke treated? Treatment for an acute ischemic stroke in evolution is supportive. For example, airway, oxygen, IV fluids. The first step is to get a CT scan of the head without contrast to evaluate for bleeding or mass. If no blood is seen on CT scan, aspirin is usually the medication of choice. Heparin is not recommended for the treatment of acute ischemic stroke and should be avoided on the USMLE. Chapter 33, the vascular surgery chapter, discusses the role of carotid endarterectomy, which is not done emergently. Thrombolysis with TPA can be attempted if patients present within three hours and up to four and a half hours in certain circumstances, and they meet the strict criteria for its use. Question 48. Define transient ischemic attack. How is it managed? TIA is a brief episode of neurologic dysfunction resulting from temporary cerebral ischemia not associated with cerebral infarction. This newer definition is tissue-based rather than time-based. TIA is often a precursor to a stroke and is due to ischemia. The classic presentation is ipsilateral blindness, or amaurosis fugax, and or unilateral hemiplegia, hemiparesis, weakness, or clumsiness that lasts less than five minutes. Order a carotid duplex scan to look for carotid stenosis. The correct choice for long-term therapy is aspirin and antiplatelet medications. Choose carotid endarterectomy over aspirin if the degree of carotid stenosis is 70% to 99%. Question 49. Describe the signs and symptoms of Huntington disease. How is it acquired? What is the classic CT finding? Huntington disease is an autosomal dominant condition that usually presents between the ages of 35 and 50 years. Look for choreiform movements, irregular, spasmodic, involuntary movements of the limbs or facial muscles, as well as progressive intellectual deterioration, dementia, or psychiatric disturbances. Atrophy of the caudate nuclei may be seen on CT or MRI scan. Treatment is supportive. Tetrabenazine or atypical neuroleptics such as olanzapine, risperidone, or aripiprazole may help with the chorea and agitation and psychosis. Question 50. Define Parkinson's disease. How do you recognize it on the Step 2 exam? Parkinson's disease has the classic tetrad of 1. Slowness or poverty of movement, 2. Muscular, lead pipe and cogwheel rigidity, 3. Pill rolling tremor at rest, which disappears with movement and sleep, and 4. Postural instability, manifested by the classic shuffling gait and festination. Patients may also have dementia and depression. 
The mean age of onset is around 60 years. Question 51. Describe the pathophysiology of Parkinson's disease. How is it treated pharmacologically? The cause is thought to be a loss of dopaminergic neurons, especially in the substantia nigra, which project to the basal ganglia. The result is decreased dopamine in the basal ganglia. Drug therapy, which aims to increase dopamine, includes dopamine precursors, levodopa with carbidopa, dopamine agonists, such as bromocryptine, apomorphine, pergolide, pramipexol, and ropinirole, monoamine oxidase B inhibitors, such as selegiline, COMPT inhibitors, such as entacapone and talcapone, anticholinergics, such as trihexyphenidyl and benztropine, and amantadine. Question 52. What is the classic iatrogenic cause of Parkinsonian signs and symptoms? Antipsychotics may cause Parkinsonian symptoms in schizophrenics. This is a favorite step two question. Treat this side effect of antipsychotic medication with anticholinergics such as benztropine or trihexyphenidyl or with antihistamines such as diphenhydramine. Question 53. What brain lesions cause a resting tremor and an intention tremor? What about hemibolismus? A resting tremor, if due to a brain lesion, is generally a sign of basal ganglia disease, as is chorea. An intention tremor is usually due to cerebellar disease. Hemibolismus, the random, violent, unilateral flailing of the limbs, is classically due to a lesion in the subthalamic nucleus. Question 54. What other common conditions other than Parkinson's disease cause a resting tremor? A resting tremor may be due to hyperthyroidism, anxiety, or drug withdrawal or intoxication. A common action tremor is called benign essential hereditary tremor. Benign hereditary tremor is usually autosomal dominant. Look for a positive family history and use beta blockers to reduce the tremor. Also watch for Wilson disease, which can cause chorea-like movements. Asterixis, which causes slow, involuntary flapping of outstretched hands, may be seen in patients with liver failure. Question 55. What diseases should come to mind in children with cerebellar findings? Brain tumors, such as cerebellar astrocytoma or medulloblastomas. Hydrocephalus, an enlarging head in an infant under the age of six months. And also consider Arnold Chiari or Dandy Walker malformations. Friedrich ataxia, which starts between ages 5 and 15 years and is autosomal recessive. Look for areflexia, a loss of vibration or position sense, and cardiomyopathy. And finally, ataxia telangiectasia, which is a progressive cerebellar ataxia with oculocutaneous telangiectasias and immune deficiency. Question 56. What diseases should come to mind in adults with cerebellar findings? Alcoholism, brain tumor, ischemia or hemorrhage, and multiple sclerosis. Question 57. How do you recognize amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, or ALS, on the Step 2 exam? ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig disease, 
is the only condition that you're likely to be asked about that causes both upper and lower motor neuron lesion signs and symptoms. This idiopathic neurodegenerative disease is more common in men, and the main age at onset is 55. The key is to notice a combination of upper motor neuron signs, such as spasticity, hyperreflexia, and a positive Babinski sign, and lower motor neuron lesion signs, such as fasciculations, atrophy, and flaccidity that are present at the same time. Treatment is generally supportive, and riluzol may have survival benefit. 50% of patients die within three years of disease onset. Question 58. What are the two classic causes of flaccid baby? How do you differentiate the two? Genetic disorders, the most common of which is Werdenig-Hoffman disease and infant botulism. History easily differentiates the two. Werdenig-Hoffman disease is an autosomal recessive degeneration of anterior horn cells in the spinal cord and brainstem. It's a lower motor neuron disease. Most infants are hypotonic at birth and all are affected by six months. Look for a positive family history and long, slowly progressive disease course. Treatment is supportive only. Infant botulism is caused by Clostridium botulinum toxin. Look for sudden onset and a history of ingesting honey or other home canned foods. Diagnosis is made by finding Clostridium botulinum toxin or organisms in the feces. Treatment involves inpatient monitoring and support with a close watch of respiratory status. The child may need intubation for respiratory muscle paralysis. Spontaneous recovery usually occurs within one week, and supportive care is all that is needed. Question 59. List the causative categories of peripheral neuropathy and give examples of each. 1. Metabolic or endocrine. Examples include diabetes mellitus, uremia, and hypothyroidism. 2. Nutritional. Examples include deficiencies of vitamin B12, vitamin B6, look for a history of isoniazid, thiamine, causing dry beriberi, and vitamin E. 3. Toxins and medications. Examples include lead, the classic symptom is wrist drop or foot drop, look for coexisting central nervous system or abdominal symptoms, or other heavy metals, isoniazid, vincristine, ethambutol, which causes optic neuritis, and aminoglycosides, which particularly affect cranial nerve 8. 4. Immunization and autoimmune disorders. Examples include Guillain-Barre syndrome, lupus, polyarteritis nodosa, scleroderma, sarcoidosis, and amyloidosis. 5. Trauma. Examples include carpal tunnel syndrome, which is entrapment of the median nerve at the wrist and is usually due to repetitive physical activity, but may be a presentation of acromegaly or hypothyroidism. Look for positive Tunnel and Phelan signs. Other examples include pressure paralysis, such as radial nerve palsy in alcoholics, or fractures causing nerve compression. 6. Infectious. Examples include Lyme disease, diphtheria, HIV, and leprosy. Question 60. What test can be used to prove the presence of a peripheral neuropathy, regardless of etiology? Nerve conduction velocity is slowed with a peripheral neuropathy. 
Question 61. Describe the pathophysiology of myasthenia gravis. Who is affected? What are the classic physical findings? Myasthenia gravis is an autoimmune disease that destroys acetylcholine receptors. Most, most patients have antibodies to acetylcholine receptors in their serum. The disease usually presents in women between the ages of 20 and 40 years. Look for ptosis, diplopia, and general muscle fatigability, especially toward the end of the day or with repetitive use. Question 62. How is myasthenia gravis diagnosed? What tumor is associated with it? Diagnosis is made with the Tensilon test. After injection of edrophonium, Tensilon, a short-acting anticholinesterase inhibitor, muscle weakness improves. Nerve stimulation studies can also be used. Watch for associated thymomas, a tumor of the thymus. Thymectomy is generally recommended for patients under 60 years without thymoma. Chronic medical treatment consists of long-acting anticholinesterase inhibitors such as pyridostigmine and immunotherapy, including glucocorticoids, mycophenolate, azathioprine, and cyclosporin. Question 63. What three conditions may cause a myasthenia gravis-like picture? 1. Eaton-Lambert syndrome is a paraneoplastic syndrome classically seen with small cell lung cancer associated with muscle weakness. The extraocular muscles are spared. Whereas myasthenia gravis is almost always characterized by prominent involvement of extraocular muscles. Eaton-Lambert syndrome has a different mechanism of action. It's impaired release of acetylcholine from nerves and a different response to repetitive nerve stimulation. The weakness of myasthenia gravis worsens with repetitive use or stimulation, whereas the weakness in Eaton-Lambert syndrome improves. 2. Organophosphate poisoning also causes myasthenia gravis-like muscle weakness. Poisoning is usually due to agricultural exposure. Look for symptoms of parasympathetic excess, such as meiosis, excessive bronchial secretions, urinary urgency, and diarrhea. Edrophonium causes worsening of the muscular weakness. Treat with atropine and praledoxime. 3. Aminoglycosides in high doses may cause myasthenia-like muscular weakness and or prolong the effects of muscular blockade after anesthesia. Question 64. What is the most common type of muscular dystrophy? How is it inherited? What are the classic findings? The most common type is Duchenne muscular dystrophy, an X-linked recessive disorder of dystrophin that usually presents in boys between the ages of 3 and 7. Look for muscle weakness, markedly elevated levels of creatine phosphokinase, pseudohypertrophy of the calves due to fatty and fibrous infiltration of the degenerating muscle, and often a lower-than-normal IQ. Gower sign is also classic. The patient walks his hands and feet toward each other to rise from a prone position. Muscle biopsy establishes the diagnosis. Treatment is supportive. Most patients die by age 20. Question 65. List the five less common types of muscular dystrophies. 1. Becker muscular dystrophy, also an X-linked recessive dystrophin disorder, but milder. 2. Fascio-scapulohumeral dystrophy, an autosomal dominant disorder that affects the areas in the name, which is the face, 
and shoulder girdle. Symptoms begin between the age of 7 and 20 years. Life expectancy is normal. 3. Limb girdle dystrophy, which affects pelvic and shoulder muscles and begins in adulthood. 4. Mitochondrial myopathies. These are of interest because they are inherited mitochondrial defects passed only from the mother to offspring and cannot be transmitted by men. The key phrase is ragged red fibers on biopsy specimen. Ophthalmoplegia is usually present. And five, myotonic dystrophy, an autosomal dominant disorder that presents between the ages of 20 and 30 years. Myotonia, the inability to relax muscles, classically presents as an inability to relax the grip or release a handshake. Look for coexisting intellectual disability, baldness, and testicular or ovarian atrophy. Treatment is supportive, including genetic counseling. The diagnosis is clinical. Question 66. What class of inherited metabolic disorders affects muscle and may resemble muscular dystrophy? The rare glycogen storage diseases. Autosomal recessive inheritance can cause muscular weakness, especially McArdle disease. A deficiency in glycogen phosphorylase that is relatively mild and presents with weakness and cramping after exercise due to lactic acid buildup. That's the end of this chapter. A big thank you to Elsevier Incorporated, my publishing company behind USMLE Step 2 Secrets, for allowing us to put out this book in audio format. Please check out the other Inside the Boards podcasts over at InsideTheBoards.com, including the main Inside the Boards podcast and the Inside the Boards Study Smarter series for question breakdowns and tips on getting through medical school. And with that, we wrap up today's episode of USMLE Step 2 Secrets. Hi, this is Ted O'Connell. I just wanted to let you know real quick that when the time comes for you to begin studying for the USMLE Step 3, we actually now have a USMLE Step 3 subscription podcast. So I encourage you to check that out over at medpreptogo.com. We have sample episodes available. And even if you're studying for Step 2, you may actually find some of this content uh, really useful for your studies. So please do check it out.